Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to episode 34 of the Middle-Aged Outlaws podcast. Uh, Adam, how is it going today? Oh, it's going okay, thanks. Um, how about yourself? Alright, thanks. I'm just not long back from another week away, not anywhere as um, as fancy as Tenerife this time, but it was pretty goddamn hot, tell you that much. Yeah, it's been too warm for Scotland anyway. Just yeah. a wee, a wee bit ridiculous. Yeah, we can get back to complaining about being too cold and, and wet now. now yeah, I'm, I've, I've made a, I've made a promise not to do that because I, I think uh, that is really annoying. And I've decided no, I am just going to complain about heat. So when it's minus five or whatever, I just have to grin and bear it. Fair enough. Yeah, that's like the rules. I, I Otherwise, I'd be being a little bit hypocritical, I think. Listen, nothing wrong with being hypocritical. It's what we do. Um, today's your choice. We're, uh, yeah. we're in 1996. We're with World Championship Wrestling. And uh, realistically, it's probably the most significant event in modern wrestling history. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's not overstating it, is it? I don't think I was trying to think of other things when I was watching it, and you know you've got like the, uh, you know Austin three sixteen or whatever, but that all felt very, I don't know, quite gradual. Um, whereas this was like a, a just an explosion. Uh, one night, everything changes. Yes, and obviously we're talking about Conan versus Ric Flair. <laughs> we are. Uh, yeah, July 1996, WCW's Bash at the Beach 1996. Um, and unless you have been in an outrageously long coma, or I don't know what else you could have been doing, but you will know what happens at this event. Um, but before we get into Adam, but this was the first time I'd watched this, by the way, ever. Excellent. Um, yeah. I'd definitely seen, of course... Um, seen what happens, the, the infamous promo, all that sort of stuff, but I'd never actually seen the, the event before. Um, okay. so, so I was intrigued to see what it brought us, and it pretty much brought almost exactly what I thought it would bring, to be fair, from um, from our WCW experience on this podcast so far. <laughs> um, had you seen it before? Yeah, um, when I got the network, I don't know when that would have been. It's a while ago. Um, a good maybe six years, I would say. Um, it was one of the first things I watched because I'd never seen it. And similar to you, I'd, I'd seen the the main moment and the promo uh, and things like that, but I'd never actually seen the show. Um, so it was yeah one of my first go to things when I when I got access to it. Nice, like that. So so you'd seen it and you still went ahead and selected it for for <laughs> someone else to watch. That says a lot about you, Adam. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not all going to be gold, is it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I was thinking, I suppose I've picked a few that I thought were significant or big storyline moments. Um, yeah. So I thought I, I would continue that for now. We always talk about storyline being more important than what actually, um, <laughs> what actually happens between the ropes. But I don't it's, know it's a fine balance, it that is. one. That's a fair point. Okay, let's talk, let's talk July 1996 before we talk wrestling. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think I thought, oh, maybe we'll get some interesting births, maybe. But by this point, but I think when you think of someone's date of birth being 1986, it just kind of makes you a little bit angry, doesn't it? So yeah, and and do you know what? That's probably not even considered all that young anymore, which mm-hmm. makes me even more angry. Yeah. Um, and do you know what? I, th- I thought as well. He's going to ask me something. He's going to ask me like songs or yeah. big key events or something. And I, I remember thinking when I chose this, go in and do a bit of research before you go on. Mm-hmm. And you can sound so fucking smart on the podcast. But no, nah, I didn't do any. Oh, man. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, so a significant birth in July 1996, Adam. Dolly the sheep. Oh, okay. The first okay. animal to be cloned. Yeah. I don't know if she's the last, old Dolly. Yeah, I've never heard an awful lot more about that after, what did they after call it all the happened. Other one? Also, Dolly. Mm. Mm. Um, okay, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Alicia Cara, an American singer, she sang, I, I, I want to say she was nominated for an Oscar for singing a song from the movie Moana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Simmons is an Australian basketball player as well. Okay. Um, a significant divorce, certainly in this country, Prince Charles and Princess Diana. Was that 96, was it? Mm, so. Uh, Ross Geller's favourite, uh, Ross Geller's dad's favourite tennis player, Steffi Graf, won her <laughs> seventh Wimbledon title that, that uh, summer. Yep. And in the UK, number one at the top of the music charts, Adam, was... 1996. Had we hit Britpop? We probably had. We had. Uh, oh, wait, can I take a gap? No. Oh, I'm trying to think how how it would have worked. Would Euro 96 be finished at this point? Well, it's a great question. Uh, so I'm guessing, because I think you would know immediately, it's not Three Lions it's that's not, the number one. It's okay. absolutely not Three Lions. I tried to apply some logic and I fell flat on my face. <laughs> <laughs> it was good logic, to be fair. Um, Killing Me Softly by the Fugees. Oh, okay. Remember it, yeah. And uh, in America, what do you think? I I don't have a clue. I'll give you a clue. I assume based on this that rap music's hitting some form of mainstream appeal. Okay. Are we too early for the debut of Eminem? Yes. Uh, Nah, I'm, I'm... I'm clutching here. I can't really think of anything. Okay. Uh, California Love by Tupac Shakur. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> a banging tune. That's two decent number ones. Actually. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've set the scene. It was a while ago. Um, and if you didn't know it was a while ago, you would by the opening montage slash video package that we get. Can you imagine what WWF would have done with this? Yeah, it just felt like such a missed opportunity. And everything about it was just a bit like wishy-washy and 
the music as well. I don't know. It sounded like, and I, to be fair, I started thinking to myself, what if they used something that now they don't have the copyright for, so they can't have it on the network? But um, it just sounded a bit like, oh, we can't quite use the song we want, so we'll use something that sounds a little bit like something that might be good. Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly. I think what it, what it was. I think they wanted. Yeah. To, I, I want to. I want to say, cra- "Is crazy by Seal a song?" I made that. Y- up yeah, that's a song. I'm, I'm sure that I read that. That's what they wanted it to sound like. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, we get. I, I like the graphics and stuff like that. The WCW were a little bit more um, out there. Than, than WWF with their bash at the beach graphics and the shark and the water and stuff like that. Yeah, it kind of they, they kind of went all in. Ah, yeah, yeah. Like, same yeah. with like the hog wild and mm-hmm. yeah, and things like that. Um, but we get a video package of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall's. Um, I think it'd been something like forty day, forty something day invasion of mm-hmm. WCW, and we got the whole sort of backstory about um, them invading. Alluding to invading from WWF. Um, yeah, and I was one. Wa- sorry, sorry. I was wondering because uh, I know that that there's various points where there's like legal action being taken and things like that. Um, and there there is some sort of uh, interview that they do with Bischoff where they're like having to give confirmation that they do not work for the WWE. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because uh, WWE basically took the action, saying, "Well, they're they're." pretending that this is happening um, but I don't know about the timeline because it's still here it still felt very much like they were positioning it as an invasion from another company but maybe without saying it Aye, aye. so interestingly the, the very first time they ever referred to them as Hall and Nash is about five minutes into the main event of this yep. pay-per-view um, and the, the litigation stuff going on between the two companies you know, mostly from WWF, um, was so petty. It's unbelievable that there's things like I think I messaged you saying on the nitros that uh, Scott Hall's still speaking with this Cuban accent, mm-hmm. calling everybody mine. Yeah. <laughs> and the litigation's like to tell you know he's to stop speaking with a Cuban accent. He's to not wear a single piece of a single lock of his hair down the front of his forehead. Um, he's not allowed to have a cocktail stick in his mouth, all this sort of nonsense. Um, I think it got to the point where Bischoff said to them, are you employed by the WWF? They both said no, and that was it. Yeah. That was it done. Yeah. Uh, funny. But I think we've spoke about this before. It's just when they did the invasion years later, it just could never really measure up to what they did here. It was so, it was so well done. Um, you know, one guy showing up and then is and you kinda know that they're aligned and his 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 pal shows up a little bit later, uh, just a, what was it, two weeks later or something mm-hmm. like that. Um and like coming through the crowd rather than coming down the ramp. Just little things, but important things. Yep. Um and you know, even when I think back to the, the, the Scott Hall standing in the ring, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here and it's you know it's not saying too much, but it's saying more than enough to make you just come up with all your own assumptions about what's going on here. It's perfect. It really yeah. is. It's really intriguing. Um, so we get this sort of rundown of everything that's happened, and then probably one of the, or, or, or two of the significant parts of this story, um, one at the 
previous pay-per-view. I think Kevin Nash had power-bombed Eric Bischoff off the stage and he'd not been seen since. Um, that's alluded to quite a lot throughout this pay-per-view. Where is Eric Bischoff? Mm -hmm. um, don't know if that has ever paid off or not. Obviously, we, we know that he joined the NWO later on, but that was a bit later on, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think they could have played it out like he's disappeared and he doesn't reappear until he's because uh, until he's aligned with them. I think he must reappear, but they're maybe just selling the severity of what happened to him. Yeah, and and I suppose um, putting in little seeds of doubt about who the the, the other significant thing is WC. Yeah. Uh, Paul and Nash or the Outsiders have challenged three of WCW's best um, to, to a match and they said that they've got a third man and, and that's what it's all about. It's all about who is this third man? And I'm sure we'll come on and talk about who the third man could have been, who the third man was and all that sort of stuff later on. Yeah, there's, uh, there's something I just wanted to mention because I think it's mentioned in the intro or, or right at the start uh, because we know who all three members of Team WCW are um, and they mention that it is decided by a random draw yeah, and I was, just, I was just sitting there thinking, wow, so it could have been like Disco Inferno, <laughs> Joe Gomez and psychosis or something like that against <laughs> against these uh, these outsiders and their their third man they got really lucky with that yeah. random draw it is such good luck <laughs> and uh, interesting that you know lucky for them or lucky for the NWO that Hulk Hogan wasn't part of that well yeah I think uh, I, d I didn't know if that was part of the way of explaining it you know because maybe if you're picking your best you're obviously putting Hulk Hogan in there mm. um, but here's a reason for him not to be in it was random random draw <laughs> so our commentary team for this pay-per-view Tony Schiavone as always Bobby the Brain Heenan and American Dream baby yeah um, who are all pretty entertaining throughout this whole thing to be fair yeah uh, I quite like the way Dusty and Heenan bounce off each other at times um, he's, in, and he's in his own wee world <laughs> at times uh, uh, what's his name Dusty yeah uh, and Schiavone just kind of playing the, the straight man yeah. through it yeah um, and they're all on the same page as far as you know, like they're, I don't know how to put it, like the the they hate Hall and Nash. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. want to know who the third man is. They're and I, I do like that about some of these WCW pay per views when the NWO has been introduced. They've they've all been on the same page, the commentary team, which I quite like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so used I think to having a, a heel commentator, uh, but. They're positioning that in this way as this is bigger than that. This is, you know, about our company and about our future and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah very well, very cleverly done, I think. So, this pay per view is a mixed bag, and that is certainly <laughs> saying something. Um, but we do start off with a good one. You've started us off, you've, you've lulled me straight in with a false sense of security here because uh, we get Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, and with the cruiserweights, we get our our, our favourite commentary uh, member, Mike Tenay, is here. And uh, my very first note is, oh, for fuck's sake, here's Mike Tenay. <laughs> it's so harsh. There's a moment where it sounds like the, the other uh, announcers think he's going to know who the third man is because they refer to him as a wrestling insider. <laughs> really? Do they? Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that's really weird. He's surely just your announcer guy that comes out and you know talks about some of the fancy moves in these uh, cruiserweight matches. But no, wrestling uh, insider is is how he's uh, talked about. There you go. Uh, I like that. At one point, he refers to 
Lucha Libre almost as a culture. <laughs> no, it is a culture. <laughs> anyway, um, this match was amazing. I think we've started before SummerSlam to, to 2000, 2005? No, 2002, SummerSlam 2002. We started off with Mysterio versus Angle. I think mm-hmm. from now on we should only watch pay-per-views where Mysterio <laughs> is the opener. Because it just yeah. gets you right into it. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's, he's really good. And it's, it's a really good matchup because uh, Psychosis, you know, he's, he's in the cruiserweights division, but he, he's quite big, Psychosis. Mm. Uh, and it gives a nice contrast and it can give you that, you know, he, he can very convincingly have a huge power advantage in this match. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I, I think you start off expecting spot fest uh, in a polite way, but there's there's a lot of, like, mat wrestling in yeah, this as is. well. There is. Yeah. Aye. Um, I, I think, I know you say I feel like it was 100 miles an hour. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of mm-hmm. dives from the top rope, a lot of just crazy stuff. But, um, yeah, they, I, I know what you're saying. They do uh, take it to the mat as well. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's a point where Tenay's just you know like Tenay's coming out with all these different <laughs> Asai moonsault and all that and and Heenan's just it's always the same when Tenay starts speaking Heenan's just questioning some of that he's even making up these words. <laughs> <laughs> I've I found it funny like taking some notes for this because I'll I'll write something down and then Tenay will call it something else and I'll be looking thinking. I'll just keep my note because I think I know what that is and I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> there's a spot here where. Uh, Psychosis does a suicide dive to the outside and he seems to land with his head under his head almost gets wedged under the guardrail yeah and it really looks like a guy in the front row kicks him in the head <laughs> oh really I didn't pick up on that it was really weird yeah. um, but I, there's just there is a lot of like really big spots in this match um, but I, I, I kind of there's something Something that Mike Tenay, sorry, I'll just go through my notes there. Something that Mike Tenay says that Ray, one of Ray Mysterio's idols is Scott Steiner. Oh. And he grew up watching the Steiner Brothers. And that's why he enjoys doing the Hurricane Runners because of the Steiner Brothers. What a load of shite. Nice. Did that say a Hurricane Runner? Is, is it the same thing as a Frankenstein? Frankenstein, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's lo- <laughs> there's loads going on here. Um, but, you know, while there's like, you know, springboard Hurricane Ranas um, and guillotine leg drops uh, from the top turnbuckle and things like that, we also get um, some, you know, logic, some psychology of Mysterio uh, starting to focus on the knee of psychosis. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um but then, you know, Psychosis' power tends to bring him back into the match every time Mysterio gets that, that momentum going. Um, I've got like, a, what have I written here? A, a senton back splash from the top turnbuckle uh, onto Wee Ray on the mat on the floor. On that looks sore. Yep. Yeah, that looks sore for both. Um, it, it's, it, spot fest is, is used as like a derogatory term. Um but yeah, you're right. There's there's just a lot of spots in this match, but there is good wrestling in it as well. Yeah, but <coughs> I think was I think maybe with spot face now is that um, it's derogatory in the sense that it looks cooperative. Yeah, Whereas um, these, these don't look these don't look cooperative. There's just someone mm-hmm. doing something amazing quite a lot of the time. Yeah, and there's uh, the 
there's often the, the lack of selling as well, and uh, there is selling straight, straight in this match. Something else, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, got a spinning flying head scissors by Mysterio and Psychosis, then a Frankensteiner style Hurricane Rana from the top turnbuckle to the floor. Um, that was amazing. Yeah, it's it's just it's so visually impressive. So much that's going on here. I think I was maybe like you. I think I watched this and I got. I was like, yes, yes, and then, yeah, never mind. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, yeah, and loads of moves as well. And I don't remember seeing this in like WWE at the time, or maybe for a little while. But loads of moves or um, moves that took both men out to the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the landings, I mean, obviously these guys know what they're doing, but they, they just looked like they really hurt quite a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, the, the couple of, I think you mentioned there, Hurricane Rana from, from the inside out off the apron just looks mm-hmm. just unbelievable. Um, um, and the, the finish I, I've got here, I, I audibly said, Oh my God. Um, at the finish, it was just so fast. Yeah. Um, and, in, 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 innovative. Innovative. Yeah. What did I say? Innovative. Yeah. Ah, there we go. I think I think it was the right word. You just maybe didn't put the emphasis in the right place. Doing a bit of mic to me here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so psychosis has Ray. Yes, they, they they try to go to the top rope. They're both up there. Psychosis goes for a razor's edge from the top rope. Yeah. And. As he's coming down backwards, I don't know why I've got my hands in the air trying to show you. <laughs> um, Ray reverses it into into Hurricane Rana um, and holds on for the the mm-hmm. Unbelievable finish! Yeah, it looked brilliant. I, yeah, I've never known other than the Razor's Edge what that move is probably supposed to be called, but uh, yeah, it's it looked exactly like that's what he was going for. But yeah, the the speed and the the sort of smoothness as well as the speed of the the counter and the execution um and i always think ray is really good at making things look real because you know he's a littler guy than everyone he's he's ever in the ring with and uh you know your logic will tell you at times well how can this guy win a match um but the way he performs his moves always makes that seem realistic and believable Mm -hmm. Aye, definitely. I mean, you know, he's obviously been world champion and it didn't seem that wild. You know, mm-hmm. you, you weren't like, this is ridiculous sort of thing. So, um, a brilliant starter. Another yep. fantastic opener with Rey Mysterio. Um, we go to Minjin Okerlund, who is really, really busy on this pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, isn't yes. he? Yep. Um, and he is with Conan. Um who is facing Ric Flair, I want to say, for the United States title later on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, he's very complimentary, Ric Flair. And then mm-hmm. he says he will cripple, clothesline, or chop block <laughs> anyone who gets involved in this match. Yep. Yeah. seems rather aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know, I quite liked it. Um, I felt like he was, when, when he was doing the respectful, I thought, oh, is this how they're going to play this? Is this just going to be, you know, quite nicey-nicey? Uh, but then, no, he just, uh, he wants, it comes across as he wants his match one-on-one and he wants to test himself against someone like Ric Flair and he doesn't want any of this shit interference from the outside. He's, he's in for a disappointing night. <laughs> yeah, <but>. absolutely <laughs> is, yeah. I guess they were, they must have been pushing Conan here. I, I, I do know that, um, Conan was a quite important link for them, getting likes of Mysterio and 
uh, yeah. and other Mexican wrestlers in, and I don't know if this was his way of being sort of uh, thanked for that, paid off. Yeah, I think I think it's yeah, I think it's part of it. Um, if you've ever actually heard Bischoff speak about Conan, he's actually really complimentary. Um, he thinks he was a really good worker, um, really. Uh, edgy in terms of what kind of role they could put him in and you know they obviously end up aligning him with the NWO down the line and mm-hmm. all that um, he thought he was a, a good character and a very very talented worker um, it sounds like it maybe went I actually went a bit wrong for him and a few of the others when uh, Bischoff was out the door um, because of various you know booking things and things like that and I think that's the point where some of the guys wanted to get pushed up the card Um but yeah, he's, I don't know why, but I was surprised by how complimentary he was about him because I thought if, if he's the link to bringing guys in, he's maybe just been difficult for them, you know, uh, insisting on certain things or yeah. getting guys brought in on his terms and things like that. But no, very, very complimentary and Bischoff is obviously, uh, pulling the strings at this point. So, um, he'll, uh, yeah, he probably did want to push him, I think. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay, so we got our next match of the evening, our second match, and my god, what a match this is. We've got Big Bubba in his leather gear, um, formerly known as the Big Boss Man. Uh, yeah, he'd been man- managed by Jimmy Hart, I want to say. Yep. Yeah, and he'll be taking on the man formerly known as Earthquake Shark. Man, shark was it just called yeah, shark? Just shark. I was think. it called yeah. something else as well when he came into WCW? It was. It was oh. basically a derivative of earthquake. I, I can't remember tremor or something like that. I can't remember. Oh, Jesus. Um, and this is a what bag of bag of coins on a in a bag on a pole. Ah, <laughs> oh, this. That yeah. I was like, is that a sock? Is it, is it just somebody's sock and there's some coins put in it and all that? Um, oh, fuck, what the fuck was this? The, the, yeah, the pole that they're supposed to climb to get the sock of quarters is, you know, like put John Tenter on top of Boss Man and you still wouldn't get yeah. to the top of that. These Both these men, I mean, John Tenter must be up near the top of 300, if not 400, and, and, mm-hmm. and Big Bubba must be 300 pounds as well. How are yeah. they ever meant to climb this? And then it, you, you see that it's only really clipped on with these sort of flimsy looking, cl- you know, the clips that they've got around the, the pole. Yeah. Yeah, that is a that is a lawsuit waiting to happen if one of them starts claiming that and it breaks. It's fine. They'll have tested it. They'll have made sure it would hold Jimmy Hart's weight and that's all it needed to do. So I assume that there was something involving haircutting in advance of this because John Tenta appears to only have a quarter of a head of hair. Yeah, although I didn't feel like it was mentioned in a way that gave me any real insight into what had gone on. No. Nah. Um, which they, is, they also didn't give any sort of context as to why they were wrestling over a soccer quarters, did they? No, I think it was just a, if you get it, you can use it. Um, <laughs> but I think, like, you know how we talk about differences between the, the companies WWE and WCW? I feel like, you know, you, you get something, or you did in the old days anyway, get something 
of a package to show you what, how we got here um, mm-hmm. for for matches. Um, and I think you, you get something for every match, basically. But you, I, I went into this really cold, not knowing why are they even having a match? What's going on? What's with the hair? What's yeah? This is this is weird. Um, well, I watched the Nitro beforehand, and there was absolutely nothing about okay why they were involved with each other anyway. So, um, what should we say about this? It's fucking awful. Yeah, this is this is bad. I mean, I, I remember watching it and thinking, ah, it's probably going to be the worst thing on the cards. So, but anyway, um, yeah, there's I, I've got a few notes. Um, Bubba tapes Tenta to the ropes after choking him out. Um, then I've got this match isn't good, and then I've got Bubba wraps the belt around his fist and goes after Tenta, whipping him. Feels like this has been on for over an hour. <laughs> uh, Bubba is cutting the hair of Tenta, but Tenta hits a low blow. Tenta tries cutting the straps, holding the pole up. Big Bubba, Bubba with a kind of Luthez press on Tenta, then sends yeah, he, Jimmy... He used to uh, do that, didn't he? As, yeah. As a boss man, he used to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, then says Jimmy Hart uh, up the pole for the, the sock of silver dollars. Uh, Jimmy Hart gets to the top, but Tenta's up. Power slams Bubba. Jimmy Hart has no idea. He's at the top of the pole. He's got the quarters. He slides down right to Tenta, who takes the sack of dollars off him, swings it for a nice connection on uh, Baba. I don't know what was really in those. They do pour it out. Um, it I mean, looked amazing. Yeah. The only uh, part of it that looked brilliant. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a good connection he got. If that was uh, legit, then that's, uh, that's a sore one, the boss man. Uh, Baba? <laughs> Bubba would yeah. have taken. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all I've got. Yeah, and he, he did pin him, didn't he? Yeah. Really yeah. odd. An, an, an odd um, an odd type of match. Yeah. My biggest issue with it was it. My biggest issue with it was that Big Tents didn't even have any music. Ah. Uh, Poor guy yeah. had quarter head of hair <laughs> and no music. Poor John Tanner. Deserves become? better. He does. Yeah. Uh, we go to Meet and Gene again. He is with a face-painted trio of Sting, Macho Man Randy Savage and Lex Luger. Um, and, well, first of all, Savage. Um, he says Sav- he, he doesn't care who the third man is. This is equal opportunity. He's pretty hyped, Savage. He is. <laughs> and then Luger cuts a decent promo as well. Yep, he Maybe does. one of the better ones I've ever seen him cut. Yep. Um Sting's voice is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, he, and no matter how many times I hear him speak, he never speaks the way you expect him to speak. He sounds like a really young guy. Um, he seems to be excited for the unknown, he says. Yeah. And uh, while the other guys are speaking, Savage is shouting things out in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. He's too up for this. He looks weird with a face paint, though, doesn't he? It, it made me think... If I'd never seen any of this without knowing, is he too over? Would I have thought, hmm, could it be Savage? Because you know, you 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 automatically think the third man's going to be a a former WWF guy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if I was watching this without knowing, which I never unfortunately got to do, um, I wondered if that would have crossed my mind. I, I feel like we should do a "What if the third man had never been Hogan" episode. One thing. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Um, this promo 
like all good promos, got me really pumped to watch that match. Um, oh, it almost came far too early in the <laughs> show. So I was like, I want to watch it now. Um, so we, unfortunately, we go to the ring. <laughs> and there's more tape involved. We get a Lord of the Ring slash taped fist match. Why? Is this your first ever taped fist match, Adam? I, I mean, I just don't know why. You have to have gimmick after gimmick after gimmick. And Russo's nowhere near. I know. And um, I've heard Bischoff say he actually hates gimmick matches. I'm not sure <laughs> if I believe him. I don't know if I believe him. But, you know, he, he probably just blamed Kevin Sullivan for all of that, I would have thought. <laughs> He's booking uh, at this point, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. Um, and I think uh, Bischoff has sort of loosely indicated he only really got involved with the stuff that in, involved the NWO. Um, he kind of left the the rest of it, um, but yeah, I mean, it's convenient. We'll 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 come to the meet as we go. But we've just had a Carson City Silver Dollar match. We get a taped fist match, and then we've got a double dog collar match coming up. Uh, they're right after each other. There's no need for this. There's also an absolute shit match between Joe Gomez and Steve McMichael. <laughs> I don't think they call it that on Wikipedia. I'll just, uh, yeah. yeah. So the Lord of the Ring was a thing that, that people competed for. Um, and DDP at this point is the holder of the Lord of the Ring. Um, I'm not quite sure what a taped fist match is because Axel Jim Duggan doesn't have taped fists in this match. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll give you an interesting, surprising uh, piece of information about DDP and Jim Duggan at this point. Okay. Uh, Jim Duggan is only two years older than DDP. Oh. Mm. Would you believe I that? Mean, no. I mean, I, I, I always knew DDP had aged well in his later years because, you know, he does all the yoga stuff and all that. Um, but, yeah, I, I know he also kind of had his breakthrough quite late. Um, but, yeah, that I, I wouldn't have guessed that they'd be as close in age as that. Crazy when you see them in this match as well. Yeah. Um, I don't have much to say about this match. I, I, I seem to understand that if Duggan won, uh, Duggan won, Duggan won, then he would get to keep the ring. But yeah. I don't think we've ever actually seen the ring. Um, yeah. They didn't make a big thing of it. Uh, and I've, I was saying, are we really getting a second consecutive match that seems to be based around tape? Yeah. There are something like in the last match. Uh, Tenta was was he taped or was he taping uh, to to the ropes? He was taped to the ropes, aye. Yeah, and then here we've got DDP getting digging down on the mat, tapes his legs together while they're wrapped around the ring post. Now, it's, I actually think it's not a bad spot, you know, uh, but it's it's a little bit repetitive mm. with with what we've just seen. Um, they do talk up DDP a little bit uh, among the announcers, as you know, he's he's starting to make waves. Um, in WCW, so I imagine this is the pretty early stages of his push. Um, and th there's a few moves of of I, I was going to say of note, but um, I've got something written down. Duggan trying to suplex DDP, but he holds the ropes counters, and he's basically in control for a while after that. Duggan catching DDP on the turnbuckle, face planting him down to the mat. A Duggan climbing back into the ring. DDP kicks him on the rope, kicks the rope as he's straddling it to supposedly crotch 
dug in, but it didn't look like it got anywhere near doing doing that. Um, then DDP hitting the diamond count, the diamond cutter for for the win. Um, yeah, it, it it's just a bit nothing really. I did think, to be fair to Duggan, given the the abuse we gave him the last time we saw him, um, I did find that this version of him was a little bit less of a buffoon. Yeah, and I, w- I wasn't sure how much later this was. I couldn't remember the year of the King of the Ring that the we looked at. Right, because I thought he looked in better shape uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, like of, of all the terrible things that Vince McMahon has been uh, accused of recently, I think turning Jim Duggan into a buffoon might be his worst <laughs> that we could say. Uh, uh, yeah, I wonder what he was like before that. Just a, a total normal, brilliant wrestler, I guess. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we've got Main Gene, and he is with the amazingly named Dungeon of Doom. Um, I don't know who else was in the Dungeon of Doom, apart from Kevin Sullivan and the Giant, but I want to say so, Conan was maybe in it later on. Sh- Shark was in it at a point. Shark, was he? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I've looked this up before. Um because they were basically the the heel faction that Hogan was was positioned up against for a while, um, and oh, I'm just going to look it up because I can see that I can get the names right here. Is, uh, is, is this the faction that Savage and Hogan fought in a steel cage yes. match? Right, okay. There's like yeah. eight of them or something. Yeah. So they want to defeat Hulkamania. There's there's. There's a hell of a lot of people listed. I imagine some of these were maybe for one-offs. Right. Um, so there's the Taskmaster, which is Kevin Sullivan, which yeah. is fine. Uh, there's a guy called King Ayakea, um Kamala. Wow. Le- Lex Luger, I think, briefly. The, the Yeti. <laughs> uh, the Shark. You're not going to like this one. Vader. The Zodiac. Zodiac? How did they get away with naming a wrestler that? Do you know who it was? No. Oh, Beefcake. Oh, for um, sake. <laughs> right, I think I've heard enough with Beefcake. <laughs> um, but the, the Dungeon of Doom are with Mean Gene. Um, that is Kevin Sullivan and the Giant... The Giants WCW champion here, but to me comes across very, I don't use the word green because I'm not sure I properly understand what that means, but he comes across almost as if he's channeling Hulk Hogan. He's, he's, yeah. he's trying to give off his best Hulk Hogan impression. Yeah, because when they brought him in, he was brought in as like uh, Andre the Giant's son, or that was the, the, the storyline that they were given as background and he was there to get revenge for, for Andre the Giant. Um, but I don't know how far removed we are from this, but I think he's still pretty new into the company here. Right. Um, and t- Kevin Sullivan is terrifying to me. <laughs> There's some... I always, whenever I see him, I think of the phrase poison dwarf. It just <laughs> comes across as terrifying to me. I know it's his, he's kind of got this... Um, how would you describe it? Sort of gothic gimmick mm-hmm. on the go, but yeah, I find them really scary. 
Yeah, I, I always thought with the uh, the Dungeon of Doom, I don't know, maybe with a different name. I know you like it, uh, but if they'd surrounded him with just a couple of really, you know, sinister types, it, it could have maybe been a thing. But obviously, mm. there's like twelve hundred people in it, um, and you know, some of them not so great. Yeti. Um, so, so the Dungeon of Doom are going to be taking on two of the four horsemen, um, Paul White, the giant being WCW champion. If the four horsemen get the win, then a member of the four horsemen gets to take on the giant on the following night's Nitro for the title. Yeah. Um, so that's what's at stake. But uh, we don't get that much till later on anyway. So we're, we're back. We're, I was going to say we're back to the ring, but we're not. Oh, thank God, because I can see what the next match is. Um, we go straight over to Lee Marshall, and he is with the enforcer, Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. Uh, how good is Arn Anderson's promos? Ah, oh, he's brilliant. He, he must be, like, without exaggerating it, he must be one of the best talkers there's actually ever been. Yeah, 100%. It's like, I feel like he's like Jake Roberts. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to raise his voice. Yeah. He's intense, quiet. Yeah, he's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Um, Benoit, not so much. Not so much in the old promo game. Yeah. Um, I assume they, they wanted him in the Horseman, one, due to his in-ring ability, and two, to maybe to bring him on a bit. I think so, because they, they've, they've always had, I think all through the, the timeline of the Horseman, they always had that really outstanding worker in one of the roles. Um, and... I think he, he fits that. I think from a personality point of view, he's a bit of an awkward fit. Um, cause you know, they're, they're always, you know, jet flying, you know, always looking immaculate and all that. He doesn't fit that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it works with who's around him and obviously his, his in ring ability. Ominously, he says that he's going to leave Kevin Sullivan for dead. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Gimmick oh, no. match number seventy-five. Double dog collar <coughs> tag team match between Public Enemy and the Nasty Boys. And I think this is episode what thirty-four. I think yeah. this is the worst match that I've, I've that we've ever watched whilst we've been doing this podcast. I think it might be the worst match I've ever seen. And it's the first time that I've fast-forwarded a match the whole time we've been doing this podcast. This was absolute shit. Yeah. Sorry. This is absolutely terrible. And I couldn't believe as I was watching it how bad it actually was. Um, like, you, you've got... Uh, for, for the first thing, I found the the split-screen thing quite difficult. Because um, you're, you're trying to watch action on two different... In two different areas of your screen. Yep. Um, now, I don't think any of it needed to be watched, uh, but never mind. Um, I've got quite a lot of swearing in my summary cool. of what went on here. So I've got uh, dog collars are tied, quickly breaks to brawling on the outside. We get a split screen. I can't watch both at the same time. <laughs> who, gi- who gives a fuck? This has started <laughs> terribly. Uh, fighting on the sand. Someone gets hit with a rubber shark. Fuck this. <laughs> Surfboard shot, then chair shot, but I missed that because I was looking the other way, but one of the <laughs> announcers said it. Some kind of move off the lifeguardy thingy. Um, I hate everything about this. 
There is a pile driver on the concrete, which isn't a nice thing to do. This is truly terrible. Um, they all decide to come back to the ring and we get a single camera shot. Sags is on the table as one of the public enemy climbs the turnbuckle. Sags gets up ages before the lad gets to the top. Sags pulls the chain. Sags pulls the chain and the public enemy lad bounces off the table. It didn't even threaten to break. Fuck me, this is terrible. Sags with an elbow on the public enemy guy again. Again, the table doesn't break. Public enemy guy is hanging from the ropes on the outside. The nasty boy boys clothesline them using the chain. The nasty boys win this. This was a fucking disgrace. <laughs> the public enemy do some chain whipping and put sags through a table. <sighs> no, I, I I didn't get as far as you, obviously, but I rubber shark, surfboard, chair, trash can lids, tables. I saw the table not breaking and it had enough. Just nonsense. Like you know, um, like some sorry, some nonsense is good though. Yeah, yeah. There's wrestling nonsense is fun and silly, and you can enjoy it. It's some, it's needed a lot of the time. And and like there was a, I've you know seen plenty of hardcore matches. We've seen plenty of ECW stuff um, over the years. Uh, this stuff, this kind of thing, can be done well. Uh, this there was nothing good about this. Mm. Nah. <sighs> this is awful. Sorry, I, I I don't mind the nasty boys either. Yeah, I think thing, maybe. I, I wonder how often they were maybe in there with quite good workers because mm. that would maybe help. Um, I, 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 like I've got memories of them. Like I, I got really annoyed once when they won the tag titles. Uh, thinking there's all these awesome teams and they're the champions and they shouldn't be and uh, I was angry and I wanted to see them get beat but that's, you know, the idea um, but now in adulthood I don't have any desire to go back and watch any of these matches Nah, nah that's fair So so this match, this double dog collar tag match really, I, th- I think I carried on my bitterness and <laughs> anger into the next match because at the very end of this Tony Schiavone said that it's been a cruiserweight classic and that is not reflected in my notes, unfortunately. Um, okay. So we've got the Disco Inferno uh, taking on the WCW Cruiserweight Champion, Dean Malenko. Um, I don't know how long this went, but it probably went about double the length that I was willing to tolerate. It was quite long. It's like 12 minutes. Was it really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's some okay stuff in here. So Dean Malenko's good in the ring. Ah, of course. Um, and... I got the impression they're trying to maybe make Disco Inferno this like won't quit type type guy, which seems really weird. I don't know. It doesn't seem to fit the character that they've got him playing. Um, like, and, don't, don't call him Disco Inferno and have him fucking dancing like a clown if that's the yeah, sort of character yeah. you want to make him. Absolutely. Because um, we've got M- Malenko dominates for loads of this match. Uh-huh. Um, and he's going after the legs. And you get little flurries from Inferno, but the story seems to be he's tenacious, he won't quit, he keeps fighting. Um and, you know, Malenko basically dominates the, the full match. And I don't know whether they go anywhere with Disco Inferno after this, mm. um, but in terms of maybe making him one of those guys. But again, I, I think I agree with you. I don't see how that character can can fit the story that it seems like they're trying to tell in a match like this. Yeah. And by 1998, when we were watching through 1998, it was a glorified jobber at that point. Yeah. 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 Um, 
It, it does, and I, I, I thought I've got here like Malenko just, just seemed to be destroying them, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, <laughs> is this a like is this a big sort of thing for Malenko, a sort of squash match? But then, like I say, it went. It seemed to just keep going and keep going. Then Disco stick coming back. He sometimes had it one, then he would start dancing like a fool. <laughs> Which again doesn't fit the sort of rest of the story of the match. Yeah. Dusty's screaming something, and I've no idea what he was saying. And it sounds like he's saying he might uncle him. Yeah, he does say that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm is really that, confused. Is that where somebody quits and you they have to say uncle? Is that a thing? Have I made that up in my head? No, you might be honest something there actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was baffled as well when he said it. <laughs> My uncle, he's seen it over and over. Um, I, I really like seeing the Texas Cloverleaf as yeah. a move. I like the way Malenko does it as well. He needs to be he needs to be fighting somebody sort of his size, obviously, mm-hmm. to be able to do it. But it looks cool. Yeah, I'm glad that Disco Inferno didn't win. Sorry, <laughs> it was not a cruiserweight classic, was it? No, it was. I, I found it. Okay, um, but it was it was almost like a a showcase of Malenko and uh, a tenacious disco. Yeah, it was it was a bit strange, mm. um, but I, I quite enjoy watching Dean Malenko matches. Um, yeah. Like preferably against you know we I think we saw some stuff with him and Jericho and stuff like that. Yeah. That'd be fun to yeah. watch. Um, but yeah, not not so much disco. He's better when he's dressed. I say it, we say it all the time. The joke is overdone, but he was better when he's dressed a pumpkin. <laughs> um, next up is a non-gimmick match although I did say it was an absolute shit match um, Joe Gomez who we've never seen before taking on Steve Mongo McMichael um, with his wife De- is it Michaels or McMichael Deborah Mac- McMichael Mac- Mac- is it McMichaels? wait a minute wait a minute um, it's McMichael yeah. McMichael so yeah. He is a member of the Four Horsemen. How? I have no idea. Um, and he's a former is he a Chicago Bear. He's a former NFL player anyway. Yeah. Um, this, I think they say that this is his third ever match. Why are they putting him on pay-per-view in his third ever match? Was he that big of a deal as an NFL player that he's being used in this sort of celebrity um, type role? Yeah, I mean... Uh- I've heard, uh, I think again, Bischoff speaking about McMichael and uh, the reason that they put him in the Horseman and the reason they gave him a little bit of a push. Apparently it was never going to go to him, you know, winning belts and, and things like that. Well, it was never supposed to. I don't know if it did. Um, but they they thought that everything about him, apart from the in-ring, was very Horseman-like. So the fact, the fact he... He had the money, he had the swagger, he had the women, you know, they felt like there was a lot of things that played into it, this sort of confidence about him. Um, he came across like an asshole. Yeah, he did. And I know they, they, they use him for announcing quite a lot. And I think there was a point where they'd brought in a few football players. Um, right. And he is basically one that, that stuck around because they felt like they could use him in, in different ways. Fair enough. Um, do you know poor Joe Gomez? Because I was thinking, not only had I never heard this name before, but I never heard it since. You know how long his run was in WCW? Four months. Ah, oh, Joe. Fed Four. to fed to Mongo, and then that was it. Yeah. Poor guy. 
It says a lot. I don't know who was backstage for WCW at the time, but whoever it was should be ashamed of themselves that they let this fucking idiot do a tombstone in his third oh, yeah. match. Yeah. Maybe that's why Joe Gomez, we've never heard him again. I mean, his necks and tatters. I wasn't comfortable watching it because, again, I, I'm probably like you. I'm watching it thinking, I know this guy is not a trained, skilled wrestler. And he's about to drop a guy kind of on his head. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't like that. No, I mean, you know. Anyway, McMichael wins. Deborah McMichael looks good. Um, and she's a lot more classy than she is once Vince gets his hands on her. <laughs> and that was his, we were taught that's his real life wife as well, apparently. Yeah, at that point, yeah. Um, so, talking of wives and ladies in wrestling, we've got Mean Gene, uh, who is rock hard, and he's with Ric Flair. <laughs> The beautiful Elizabeth and a woman. Um, woman at this point, Nancy Sullivan? At this point, she was yeah. still married to Kevin Sullivan. Um, Flair, I don't know what the whole storyline behind him having Elizabeth and woman with him is. Um, quite an odd Ric Flair promo. But the whole thing really is about Mean Gene being a horny wee dog. Oh, he uh, can't get enough. And women tempting him. Um, I've got here that he seems quite distracted, but I think that's an understatement. Yeah, but the, w- women's quite um, aggressive. <laughs> um, she's not holding back. No. And uh, Mean Gene is, I don't know, Playing that he's a wee bit intimidated by loving life. It's uh, it's quite something to see. That's is, and one of the strangest ever sign offs of an interview. <laughs> As they sign off, Minjin says that him and Ric Flair are going pole vaulting. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Remember, remember when they did that whole um, sorority house thing on WCW? Yeah, Mean Gene was like creeping about like twenty-year-old <laughs> girls and stuff. Yep. Cool, yep. cool, uh, cool old man with jeans tucked in and all that. I heard a, a story about him. I can't remember who it was. It might have been like I remember listening to a couple of tribute shows <laughs> uh, podcasts, and apparently, you know, if if you were um got back to the hotel and you walked into the bar and he's already there, he would just have a group of women around him and he'd be telling stories and they apparently just had the gift of the gab and mm-hmm. would just speak away to them. Um yeah, I'm imagining all these, you know, totally ripped wrestlers that stand in the corner, nobody around them and everyone's around me and Gene. <laughs> Class. <laughs> so that leads us on to our US title match between Ric Flair, the champion, and Conan. Um, there was bits of this I liked. There was bits of this I did not like. What did you think? Yeah, I was. Uh, I think by the time the match came, I was quite enthusiastic for it because uh, I thought, well, the the shit shows we've watched uh, in the in the build up to this, I thought it's two guys that can work. Um, I, I thought this would be quite good. I thought it was a wee bit of an odd spot for Ric Flair. Um, uh, like, I don't know. I maybe think of the US title as being a bit beneath him. But um, yeah, I, I was quite enthusiastic for it. Probably similar to you. I enjoyed bits of it and bits of it not so much. 
Yeah. So basically, you know, you referenced earlier Conan talking about he, he wants Ric Flair one on one. Um, he doesn't know what people interfere in and all that. The sort of story of this match was that the two women uh, accompanying Ric Flair basically get in the way of the whole match. Yeah. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it really, really doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I'd never seen women before, before this pay-per-view. Okay. Um, she could shriek. Yeah. She did a lot of shrieking. I've not, uh, had you seen her before? Um, I don't think so. Like I, I had an awareness of who she was, uh, and I think in maybe, I've got this this memory of um, what was the tag team that uh, Ron Simmons was in when he first started in WCW. It was him and another guy, um, and she, I think, was their manager. Right. And uh, you know they they were both I think young guys just just starting out. Um, and you know she was kind of playing them off against each other, effectively, um, and that that was kind of the last memory I had of seeing her ringside or involved in 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 an angle or a story. But that would have been so long before this, mm-hmm. like probably late eighties, I would have thought. So she does a aye, she does a lot of shrieking during this. She's very concerned for Flair um, every time. We get a lot of classic Flair. Stuff in this match, a lot of wooing, a lot of chopping, mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, you get backdrop, your your uh, forward roll over the the ropes, uh, the turnbuckles. Um, I think when it when it comes to the wrestling, it's quite a good match actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just too much interference. Aye, there's a silly spot where Flair's on the outside, and Conan climbs to the top rope. And women shakes the bottom rope, which yeah. makes Conan fall off the top rope. It's like no, yeah. <laughs> Poor Conan having to sell that, like he's doing the forward roll off the top rope. Yeah, you'd surely be raging when you went back after something like that. It just looked hokey. Yeah. Um, Poor Elizabeth takes a hell of a bump on the outside at one point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Flair pulls her in front of him. Um, yeah, there's there's a point where uh, he, he certainly does that. A point when Conan's about to come off the the top turnbuckle uh, to the outside. Uh, yeah, um, there's a good bit where woman kicks Conan between the legs, and Dusty said she kicked him low. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that got me as well. That bit. <laughs> um, at one point, Conan goes for a figure four, which I thought was quite funny. Um, Flair grabs the rope to to break the hold, and the ref kicks it away. Mm-hmm. That was weird. Yeah, that was weird. I've I've seen that um, happen the other way, where it's the person like getting leverage when they've got the hold applied, yeah. and you know your your Earl Hebner will kick it away um, to say stop cheating. But I, I'm not sure what he was doing wrong in that instance. Yeah, it's, it's like they're programmed to think that Flair's cheating. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, possibly. Um, the, the finish of this match really annoyed me. Uh, just kind of took took a bit away from it. Uh, you've got Elizabeth on the apron, one side, trying to distract the ref. Um, flares down, and Woman climbs up on the other side, and it seems to take Conan an age to turn round yeah. to get hit in the head with a stiletto yeah. from Woman. She looks like she barely dinks him, and he goes down like he's been clattered with a clothesline mm-hmm. for hell. Yeah, um, that was quite painful, and that was it. Yeah, I think the the, the finish was a, a 
unfortunate because even with all the interference, it it, it would have been a better match with a better finish. Mm-hmm. I agree. I suppose Flair's going to get. He's not. He's not exactly going to get a clean finish. I did like his pin though. His his dirty pin. Yeah, feet on the ropes. Feet yeah, the top ropes. I like yeah. that. Um, yeah. Not much else to say about it, have you? I I enjoyed it compared to a lot of what had gone before. That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. That's yeah. That is fair. Um, so we go back to me and Gene. He's been. I'm telling you, he's a busy guy. Uh, he's trying to eavesdrop on the outsiders. He's trying to identify the voice of the third man. Um, he tells our commentary team that in the back of his mind, it does sort. Of, you know, he does <laughs> recognise it, but he just can't tell who it is. Um, is this where Heenan suggests that he? He, he bribes the guard, the bodyguards, or something like that. Tries to yeah, there's like the security guards. I think yeah, he suggests that he, he bribes them. Quite funny. It, it's a good suggestion, and Heenan, uh, Mean Gene's like, I won't get involved in one of your schemes, Bobby Heenan. Like, I had, I had in mind a suggestion of my own. Oh. Now you know, there's only what one more match to go. I think at this stage before the main event, mm-hmm. just stay there, Gene. They're going to come out, and then you'll know before everyone else. If you're desperate to know, he's too you know. meddling. Uh, yeah, himself, as we see, he gets himself involved. Because he... everyone is under the assumption at this point that the three men will come out together. I mean, we'll talk about that once we get there. But yeah. I would have thought if you're Gene, just stay put. Stay put. They have to leave that room to get to the the ring. Genius. If only you'd... fuck Mike Tenay, you should have been there. <laughs> you should have been the fourth man. <laughs> so our penultimate match uh, The Four Horsemen, Chris Benoit and Arn Anderson Taking on the Dungeon of Doom Kevin, fucking terrifying Sullivan <laughs> And the Giant uh, I like the jump start As the yeah. as the Four Horsemen are coming out The pair of them just uh, Sullivan and the Giant jump them from behind And then That asshole Mongo appears with his briefcase Tries to attack the Giant takes the giant away backstage and we've got a situation where it's just Sullivan taking on the two of them for all of 30 seconds and then the giant comes back anyway. Yeah, I couldn't work out why they didn't leave that longer because your your story's right there, you know and they do end up having a situation where Sullivan is the guy stuck in the ring for ages anyway. Um, You know, the the giant giant could have come back with, you know, briefcase bits in his teeth or something like that and just made it seem like he'd He'd sorted out McMichael, and he and he's back now to take care of business. Yeah. Here's a question: Who's the face and who's the the heel in this situation? I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure that there is a, a sort of traditional face. Um, I, I got the impression that um, the the sort of the horseman would be the crowd favourite in this match because the Dungeon of Doom had been feuding with Hogan. So you've got to assume that they're sort of established as heels. But then Hogan had been getting booed for quite a long period. He had, yeah. Um, before he disappeared. I, I want to say disappeared. Was this July? I think he disappeared about April or something like that. Apparently okay. getting booed quite a lot. Anyway, yeah. um, they play it off like a sort of classic face-heel tag match where Sullivan's pretty much isolated for the majority of the match. Giant finally gets a hot tag in... Um, and the uh, things go a little bit wild. Sullivan and, and Ben will end up fighting away out the ring and away up to where the commentary team are sat, uh, in about the sand and all that. 
Um, it's a little bit like our earlier tag match where there's so much going on, it's impossible to keep track, but mm-hmm. it looks like Giants gets a hold of a hold of Arn Anderson, choke slams him, and it's all over. Yep. Um, yeah, the the uh, that means the Horsemen will not get a title shot. Which uh, is odd. You'd think if they make that the stipulation, stipulation then yeah, then. Um, and then <laughs> the the Benoit and Sullivan stuff keeps going. Uh, yeah, got, this is weird as well. Eh? Yeah, Benoit kind of comes flying out of nowhere. <clears throat> uh, off like uh, the announcer area um, so they'd, they'd fought up there I think while the match was still on the go yep. technically um, and uh, yeah the, we've got Benoit flying into Sullivan and then they fight back to the ring but the giant's gone and I think Arn is maybe gone or maybe down or, or whatever but it's, I thought that seemed odd because the giant's like ah, I'm done I've Fuck done my bit. <laughs> um, and then then we've got women coming down to the ring and pleading with Benoit to stop attacking Sullivan. Um, is, she, th- is, is he her kayfabe husband or no? Yeah, so I, I had a quick look um, while we were chatting because I, I was trying to work out the timeline um, because she married Kevin Sullivan uh, in, it doesn't actually give me a date, but in 97 she starts having the affair with Benoit. Right. So we're still not at that stage yet, but from what I've heard, what actually happens is Sullivan books uh, women to be kind of identified as his real-life wife, uh, which she is, and then he basically created or wrote a story where she falls for Benoit and leaves him for Benoit, and uh, it's uh, a case of life does imitate art, um, and that ends up happening. So they, I, th- I assume they're just planting the seed of that, the start of that storyline here. Yeah, it's quite odd. But like her only real involvement <coughs> here would be being with the Horsemen, wouldn't it? Because mm-hmm. she's with Flair. Yeah. Uh, she basically, I, but like you say, she comes out to reason with Ben and she's saying, "What are you doing? Stop it!" and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Arn yeah. is in the ring because he also asks Kevin Sullivan if he's if he's okay. Okay. Uh, audibly asks if, if he's okay. Um, and then the giant comes back out. He's obviously had his cigarette, and he's he's back out to, to help him. Yep. Um, aye. So that takes us to the main event. I, I noticed we we seem to get the exact same video package montage here uh, as we got on the intro to the show. Yep. Yeah. Sort of weird newspaper headlines. Yeah, no, really good. For what it was, but uh, maybe, maybe at the time, maybe we're looking back and turning yeah, the up possibly. to something that looked really good at the time, but it wasn't. It wasn't great. Yeah. Um, really difficult to watch this match and this whole sort of storyline play out. You know, I think you mentioned earlier it would have been so good to watch it at the time, watch it live, <laughs> um, watch everything play out as it did. It's really difficult to watch it. Now, because we obviously know everything that's happened since, but yeah, I can only imagine watching it at the time. This must have been, you know, like you must have been so excited for this mm-hmm. match. You must be waiting to see who was going to come out. Um, yeah, do we get we get the outsiders come out first, don't we? Yeah, they come out. They come out first, and there's just the two of them. Uh, and Mean Jean comes down to ringside, takes a mic, asks who the third man is. Uh, Hall says. Uh, all Jean needs to know 
is that he's here and he's ready. Um, Nash confirms he's here, but he and Hall feel like they've got enough to handle things right now. Yeah. I always got the impression that Nash was just pissing about in WCW. <laughs> like he never genuinely gave it the respect that the the way that he he acted in WWE. Do you know? Yeah, I've I've heard him speak about it, and he he basically says things like, "Well, you know, they brought us in, and just the two of us totally destroyed them, and that's the way they positioned it. So you know, we're just like walking around like we own the place because they basically told us we did. You know, it's uh, he's he's playing into the character of doing it, um, and he's got this sort of cocky, arrogant, this is actually quite funny uh, side to him. Yeah, Um, yeah, they are cool though. There's something just really cool about them. Um, Even though they're, you know, they're obviously playing the heels, there's there's something there. Oh, and people must have liked that, I think. Um, And obviously we saw what happened with NWO, like they, they were massively... You know, they were that sort of cool heel before DX were that sort of mm-hmm. character. Um, so, we, so we get Sting, Luger and Savage all coming out together. Still questioning the face paint. Not really sure what that's <laughs> about. I take it some sort of united front. They had it on the Nitro yeah. uh, previous to the pay-per-view as well. Okay. Um, and really early doors, we get Luger in the corner with one of our guys, Nash, I want to say. Um, and Sting yep. comes over, hits a Stinger splash in the corner, and Dex, Nash, uh, but also Luger. Yeah. Um, and I really like this storytelling. I don't know if this, I, I'm sure it was intentional. Um, I like this storytelling because at this point you could be thinking, okay, so is Sting the third man? Has he done that on mm-hmm. purpose? Yeah. Uh, you've got Luger, who was a w- ex WWF man, get t- yep. taken away. Does that mean he's going to come back? Is he going to be the third man? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like that. And I, like I say, I'm sure it was intentional, but as I was watching mm-hmm. it, I thought, that's cool. Yeah, I, I really like that as well, because it just plants that seed. Um, and, you know, again, I'd like to think if I'm watching this for the first time, I've maybe already got Savage in my mind and I'd, I'd be watching thinking, it could actually be any of these guys mm-hmm. that are on the other side right here. And, you know, we've seen turns like that where, you know, somebody basically just steps over to the other side mid-match type thing. Um, I don't know if we'd seen that kind of thing before this point, but it's not unfathomable that that could happen. Yeah. And there's there's like this tension in the air, which is like, and you know, the announcers are playing up text. They're, they're so like paranoid about what's going on and questioning everything. Um, Shivani's, you know demanding that WCW should just bring another guy down. And I'm sure at a point he says, just bring the whole damn locker room down. You know, um, I, he's, he's getting so like worked up about it all. Um, but there's like within the crowd, there's a tension, which you just so rarely get. Yeah. Yeah. I've got that in my notes. It, it feels like there's serious, uh, legit animosity towards mm. the outsiders. And it's the commentary team and the crowd that are bringing that more than anything. Um, And there's a bit of a desperation as well where the outsiders have uh, got Sting isolated and they're they're working away on him. Um, And there's that sort of desperation to get Savage into the match who Mm -hmm. plays that role well as well where he's desperate to get in and when he does finally get in he goes off with the double axe handles all over the shop. Yeah. uh, Which is great. It's a really good match actually for 
Mm-hmm. I know it's more an event and storyline than it is a match, but I do think it's quite a good match. Yeah. Yeah, we've got um, a point where, you know, when Savage is, is got in and he's running, he's running wild, uh, he's, he looks like he's starting to, to go towards his finish sequence, you know, he's doing the, the finger spinning there thing and all that. And then that dastardly Nash hitting him with a low blow, just stopping all the momentum. Um, and just before the, the big event is about to happen. So this is obviously where it all changes. So many things that I liked about what happens next. One, there's no music hits. There's no yeah. lights go out. There's nothing. Just Hogan appears. Um, he starts walking down. He's pointing towards the ring. Shavoni and um, Dusty. The Hulkster's here. The Hulkster's here to save us. All that sort of stuff. They're, they're loving it. And they've built themselves up to the point where you can legitimately see them being like that. Yeah. Um, you get the Heenan, but whose side is he on? Uh, you've spoke about that before, and that mm-hmm. that the, um, it jives with how he's been his whole career with Hogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think he knew. I'm pretty sure, you know, the the, the pool of people that actually knew who it was going to be was so limited um, that he, that's just him being him. I don't think it's him being a smart ass about anything. Yeah, I, I think I read today that none of the commentary team knew. Yeah. Uh, which is cool. And yeah, Hogan gets in the ring. And I, I'll, this is something that I've written down here. I enjoyed how quickly it happened. There's no over milking, which is unbelievable when it comes to Hogan. Yeah. But there's absolutely no over milking of it at all. I think he rips his vest off, does he? Yeah. And then he rips. Sorry, go. Yeah, he's, he's ripped his vest off and, you know, he's sort of walked to that side of the ring where Nash and Hall have exited the ring, um, which, again, you know, you can play either way in your mind as you're you're building up to this as he's standing between to protect Macho Man. Um, you know, it, it does happen quickly, though, which I, I agree with you. You would expect him to go out and pose for 10 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and he just hits the leg drop and everything just seems to stop. The crowd just go deathly quiet. Yeah. And I think he then, does he start mocking the, doing the whole um, ear, hand to the ear thing? And yeah. He hits another one. Yep. And then, uh, did, you, did you notice the ref in the background? No. He goes full like head and hands as soon as the first leg drop is hit. He's like selling it massively. He's got like his head and his hands like, what is going on? I don't believe it. I don't believe what's happening. Um, again, maybe he didn't know. Yeah. Um, maybe he was probably just told, you know, at some point the match will break down and then someone's going to come down or something like that, you know. So I was watching a interview with Nash and Hall and they've done lots of shoot interviews and that over their time. Um, I was watching one earlier and they said that even when Hogan came down, they still didn't know if he was actually going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, Bischoff's talked about that as well because apparently the he'd tried to convince him for a couple of weeks uh, that you know this should be you, and Hogan had initially been like that, you know, done one of his you know what is it until you walk a mile in my shoes type thing, you know, um, and then he'd been getting the booze, and then I think he started to see the reaction that that Holden Nash were getting, yeah, uh, just being on TV. But apparently Bischoff 
had got, you know, had got the, the yes, I'll do it from Hogan, but that he still wasn't 100%. He, he was thinking as he was going down, if this goes another way, what do we do? You know, is there someone else we can send down? You know, because it, it crossed his mind, according to him, pretty late that he said yes, but, you know, what if, what if he gets down there and just thinks, no, I can't do it? Yeah, um, yeah interesting. It, it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you hear about John Cena <clears throat> went into the Hogan's thinking, the whole charity work, the children, mm-hmm. you know, the people that he felt they maybe inspires. All that sort of stuff went into it, and that's what the whole "Till You Walk" a day in my red and yellow shoes, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had them. So two two things I was going to mention when he'd been getting all these boos and all that sort of stuff. Bischoff had tried to get him to turn heel, and he just said no, flat out, been against it. Then he went away to film Santa with muscles. Um, later on, neither this time. And uh, Bischoff had went to visit him and Hogan said he'd been watching, he'd been keeping up to date with it and he'd said, who's the third man? Uh, and this is what I texted you earlier. Bischoff said, I don't know yet. And this must have been, you know, they, they'd been mentioning the third man on TV mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. sure they must mention this thing uh, possibly going to be the backup if, if, it, if this hadn't yeah. panned out. But surely they must have had an inkling as to who it could have been. Yeah, I think from from Bischoff's recollection of it, his view is he always wanted it to be Hogan and he was going to give Hogan until it sounded like last minute right. um, to try and convince him. And I think he got the yes a bit before we got to last minute. You know, you've talked about the, uh, the, the conversation they're having, but I think he, he always had um, Sting as, like, in his mind, the best backup plan, which I never really got. I, I, I didn't really understand how that would work. But, no, the, the storyline uh, is that these are guys coming through WWF. How, how would that make sense that the third yeah, man would be Sting? That, no. that other two would make more sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, he said, who's the third man? Bischoff had said, don't really know yet, kind of working on it. And Hogan said, it should be me. Um but even, you know, he'd agreed to it, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they had him stay with uh, Kevin Sullivan the night before the pay-per-view. His agent had been there and Sullivan had kind of forced them in, into staying in different rooms because his agent was trying to um, trying to convince him not to do it, apparently. Right. Uh, Hogan apparently all, also only turned up about between an hour and half an hour before the match, yeah. which is amazing. Um, you know, you never know what to believe in wrestling. The stuff mm-hmm. that you hear, uh, I, I don't believe that Hall and Nash didn't actually think that he was going to come down and not do it. But apparently, when they were in the ring, they're high fiving each other and saying we're working with the Hulkster and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose um, that just thinking about how that that must uh, have gone down with Hogan arriving late and stuff like that. I imagine this will be a real life reason why Bischoff is not on the announce team, why he's not on camera, because he will be backstage and probably the person who is trying to make sure everything goes smoothly and come up with a plan B if he needs to. Mm. So so apparently they had a conversation in a cupboard, the pair of them, about what was <laughs> going to happen. Um, and also apparently the referee had a radio and if they needed to, somebody would tell the ref to tell Sting that he was the third man. All right, okay. Yeah, it just, 
I really like the idea of us doing a what if it wasn't Hogan. So I'll save some of what I'm thinking, but I think we both agree it wouldn't have worked with Sting. It just yeah. wouldn't have fit. And and some of the other rumours around this time, it's crazy to think, you know, the amount of stuff you can read now about wrestling on mm-hmm. the internet that there's basically no real opportunity to to surprise anybody anymore. But um, it's crazy to think back then that these dirt sheets were. You know, providing rumours about who the third man and all that might be. Yeah. Um, it's a, so, so a couple of the free agents at the time were Crush and Mabel. Um, and Meltzer had suggested that one of them might be it. Also, Bret Hart's contract with WWF, WWF was coming up at the time, and WCW had made uh, approaches to him because Nash and Hall had apparently said it needs to be Hart. Right. Um, but he's apparently no interest in signing. So, okay. yeah, nice to fantasy book other people. I mean, can you imagine how big the NWO would have been if it had been Mabel? I mean, you mean like physically? Uh, no, I mean, mm. even bigger than if it had been Mabel okay. than over in Hogan. Uh, um, I, I suppose if it had been in the, like, if he'd brought his Big Daddy V character into the mix. <laughs> Was he in a tag team and the thing was everybody come to the or was that um, Kurgan? Uh, no, uh, oh yeah, that might have been Kurgan. Was that the oddities? That guy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I remember. Mo and Mabel or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, Mo and Mabel. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so yes, let's park some of that stuff because it, it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. Um, Hogan has dropped. So there's no end to this match. No. Um, I think well, that's right though There kind of is an end But it's not an official end Oh so, of course uh, I, Hogan pins yeah. and So after the second thing. Yeah after the second leg drop uh, Hogan throws the ref out the ring um, Hall counts the three uh, And the newly formed Three man NWO Stand in the ring Arms raised as uh, Sting helps Savage Out of the ring And the trash starts uh, Filling the ring How good is that? I mean, if you are Bischoff and you're sitting in the back watching that, as soon as that starts happening, you must be jumping up oh, and down. Can you imagine? <laughs> I, I, I do love, I do like that Mean Gene's straight in there. Aggressive yeah. little shit that he is. Excuse me, excuse me. What in the Brilliant. world are you thinking? Brilliant. And it's so perfect because it's, it's Mean Gene. And he's got such a long association with Hogan. He has basically been the guy holding the microphone for Hogan for as long as I can remember wrestling being a thing. That's why it works, eh? Yeah, if you, I think it's it's been said before, if you if you put any WCW established announcer in there, uh, it just wouldn't work. Like if you put Shivani or something, it's it's you you wouldn't get that same feeling. Aye, like he gets away with and basically antagonising these three Uh people. Uh-huh. It's, but it's like he's hurt. He is uh, personally hurt yep. that this has happened. I love his promo for Hogan. I think sto- yeah. storytelling-wise, how he how he um, sets it out about, I've been up north, uh, I was promised this, that, and the next thing. These people mm-hmm. turned on me. And it's a little bit of a trope these days. All oh, these people turned on me. I'm mm-hmm. turning into a bad guy now. He didn't come across like a bad guy. You know, he wasn't didn't have mm-hmm. an evil sneer or he's you no know, twirling his moustache or anything like that. He's just like pissed off. 
Uh-huh. I think it works perfectly. It's probably yeah. one of the best promos. Who do you think it sits? Oh, a top I, five promo. Yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. I mean, the the fact that he's he's kind of listing reasons. You know, he's he's talking about what he's been promised, the movies, the the top tier matches, the the millions of dollars and all that. Um so he's not just turned for the sake of it. He references those things and he references the booing mm-hmm. from the crowd. He talks about the fact that they have turned on him. Um and you know, that's been noticeable. You know, there's there's uh, plenty of bits and pieces of documentaries and podcasts and things like that where they do talk about how the the crowd had had enough of Hogan. They they they, they were moving on in their minds. Um but his character at that point was staying the same. And he is pissed off that these people are booing him when in his mind and in his voice here he is the only reason they're there in the first place. Yep. Um, I, it's, it's really well done. I like that he says that. He says something like, without Hulk Hogan, you fans wouldn't be here, or something like that. Yeah. Um, I also like, you know, you talk about the ring being littered, and uh, Mean Gene says, look at all this crap in the ring. This is what's in the future for you. And mm-hmm. Hogan says, as far as I'm concerned, all this crap in the ring represents these fans. Uh, yeah. And talks about, like you say, about the booing working with his charities. I did everything for the kids and mm-hmm. and the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Yep. It's brilliant. It's so good. Really, really well done. I mean if he hadn't twice said New World Organization, uh it, it would have been absolutely spot on. Um so he, he says it right the first time. Yeah. And then uh, it's just twice later on he says says organization. Yeah. Epic. <laughs> Absolutely epic. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. I, I do like basically this whole pay per view is signed off by Shivoni. Shivoni saying, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell straight to hell. Yep. Yeah, Tony's frustrated. I like that a lot. The night didn't go the way he wanted. The, uh, the commentary team are brilliant throughout yeah. that period, anyway, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's. Definitely, I think you mentioned, you know, in terms of significance, like um, maybe the most significant thing that happened in my lifetime of watching uh, wrestling. Um, But it's it's not just the significance. It's so well done. Like, I thought that the whole match, as well as the the promo at the end, was just really well done, really logically laid out, uh, keeping the doubt in people's minds, the tension in the crowd... Um, the the sort of perceived hatred on each side of the ring, it just it all worked so well. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, good luck trying to. I mean, they've probably tried to replicate that a number of times. I, I was thinking about this. I think our very first episode we did top five heel turns. Yeah. Um, I cannot remember where I placed this. Can you? Did you have this as your number one? I think I did. Do you know what I, I had? could be wrong. What did you have? I had Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> turning, turning on Vince after Triple H married her. And then she's went and done it again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Long-term storytelling at its <laughs> finest. So that, that, was, that was... It was hard to get through at times, but it was really worth it. And despite having seen that um, promo and... Bits and pieces of that match, it was worth. I really, really enjoyed it. 
Good. Uh, I, I went into it thinking it's, it's going to be all about the third man and the NWO. And they do keep that as a thread all the way through. I don't think there's a single match that, that passes without it being mentioned or referenced by the announcers. But there's a couple of okay matches in there. Ray against Psychosis was good. Um, <laughs> is that the only one that maybe stands out as particularly good? A little um, bit. Yeah. But still, you know, yeah, worth, worth watching, I think. Yeah, agreed. And I think in contrast to what WWF had at that point as far as their 1996 roster... <laughs> Um, you know, I, I don't think that their roster would have been, or their pay-per-views would have been much to write home about either at that time. No, I think they, yeah, they would have been struggling at this point mm. um, without, you know, going through and looking through the roster. Um, Austin wouldn't have broken out yet. Uh, I suppose Brett is their their main guy. Um, I, it's Isaac, pretty sh- Isaac Yankum might mm. have been flying by then. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty shallow pool of yes. of uh, main event talent there, I think. So yeah, great shout, Adam. Great, great pick again. Awesome. Got the golden touch. Um, I I made my pick some while ago. I've wanted to pick um, an NXT takeover for a little while, but then, like I say start watching these things and I get excited and think actually I want to watch this and I want to watch that so I said to you a couple of weeks ago this is what I want to pick next and I'm trying to stick to it so um, I am picking next WWE NXT TakeOver New Orleans from 2018 awesome Um, I want to say that that was Wrestlemania 34 weekend I think the the one where Triple H and Stephanie take on Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey. Oh right, okay. Thirty four. It must be around then. It's probably headlined by Brock versus Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> one of the times. So cynical. <laughs> um, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll talk you through the card. Go for it, yeah. Okay. Uh, what we got? One, two, three, four, five matches. Uh, the NXT North American Title Ladder Match. Ricochet versus Killian Dane. EC3, Adam Cole, Lars Sullivan and the Velveteen Dream. Okay. Uh, women's title match, Ember Moon versus Shayna Baszler. Yep. Uh, the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Final, um, which was a obviously a tag team uh, tournament that they had. It's a triple threat match for a final, though, which is odd. Um, the Authors of Pain. Yep. Uh, do you remember them, I? I do, yeah. Uh, Pete Dunn and Rod- versus Pete Dunn and Roderick Strong versus Undisputed Era Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Nice. Uh, NXT title match: Andrade versus Alistair Black, and yep. a combination of quite a long um, storyline between Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano in an unsanctioned match in the main event. No, why do I feel like I've seen that match but not the rest of the show? Would I just have watched that match? I don't know. They, they had they had a fair few. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a tag team and then they split up. And uh, I'm yeah. sure they had battles for the belt and all that sort of stuff. I seem to remember Champa referring to the belt as Goldie and, and him and Gargano fighting over it. Okay. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this because what I'm sure of is I've never seen the whole show. Okay. Um, so I may have seen bits and pieces, but I think as a as an event, it'll be a first time watching through for me, which is uh, 
which is quite a, an exciting thought. Plus, I, I just know how good a lot of the NXT, NXT shows were. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is this will be fun. Quite timely to watch a Triple H um, booked show, given what's yeah. happening at the moment. Yeah, I wonder, wonder how the landscape's going to change. Mm. Wonder what things will start looking like on TV. Wonder if it'll ever draw me back in. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, maybe this might be the the the, uh, the start point. Eh? Yeah, I, I mean. I am uh, generally quite excited for them getting in in real time a, a fresh start on their shows because I think that's been long overdue. Uh, but yeah, like you say, interesting to see the guy who is the new head of creative um, on a show that I assume he booked every bit of. Mm-hmm. There was a period there where I think Black and Gold NXT was genuinely fun to watch. It's probably about the best thing. Um, wrestling wise to watch so I, here's hoping it's a good one yeah um, and it's it's in the amazingly named Smoothie King Centre in oh. Orleans, which I do nice like. yeah so we'll see we'll see what it's like I'm not going to make the mistake of watching it tomorrow and then by <laughs> two weeks later forgetting what the hell will happen yeah cool thanks for that I enjoyed yeah, thank you. the new world organisation of wrestling <laughs> and here's to the next one um, until then, take it easy, Adam. Oh, imagine what the um, we kind of do births in 2018. I'm going to have to come up with something else for that. Yeah, I was going to say deaths, but that sounds a bit morbid. Probably going to have to do deaths. But mm. that's going to be a fun way to start a show. <laughs> if you can guess the UK and US number ones without googling them for 2018, I will. I was going to say I'll kiss your ass, but. I guarantee that if I do at any point successfully, even if you gave me the two weeks, guess what those are? I have Googled it because I, 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 in my mind, music kind of ended in around, I don't know, 2005 or something like that. Yeah. Middle aged out was. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Right. That's what it says on the tin. Yeah. Take it easy. See you next time. Cheers.